right, everyone. Welcome to Interview and Inspiration. This is Marshall Paris, and this is Josh Abusio, and we have the amazing privilege here to be with Dr. Scott Shamwell, who's currently the Managing Director of Rapid Response. He has a lot of experience in the leadership roles, one of them being the VP of Oracle, other amazing positions, such as CEO of other business ventures and everything. So we're super excited for you to be in the show. We appreciate you, and we look forward to going with this conversation. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience today. Absolutely. And so, Dr. Shipwell, we actually have a question that we like to ask everyone. It's a, it's a bit of a way to loosen up. It's a little bit of a way that way we can actually get to know you a little bit in our audience and see who you are. And that, what would you say is the most exciting thing that you did while you were in your 20s? Well, yeah. For me, that was a while ago. <laughs> I guess the, the biggest transition for me is the biggest change. Uh, I, I come out of a, an Army brat uh, background and went to a school called North Georgia College, which is similar to the core at A&M. And so I came to the commercial world in my mid-20s when I left the military, uh, completely naive about business. And I had had summer jobs, but that didn't prepare me for the, for the business world. So it was a, a big transition, uh, a good one. But uh, I think one of the things that you guys are doing that I like is that you're interviewing people that have made some of these changes. So there's some mentoring type help available. The biggest mistake I made in that process, I guess, was not really understanding what kind of uh, job and career I wanted. Uh, I ended up working for Schlumberger out of home, Louisiana, which was a very good thing, and had turned down other opportunities in South Carolina and some other places. I really wanted to be in a nuclear power plant because that was my undergraduate degree was in physics. But by the time I got to where I was in the working world, that industry had pretty much collapsed, as you all probably know. And so the, uh, oil, the oil patch was uh, attracted to me for a couple reasons. Since I had been in the military, I was used to being around heavy equipment and field operations. Uh, the thing I liked about Schlumberger is that when out there in the middle of the night, they had lights on, so I could actually see what I was doing. And that the trucks were air-conditioned, and we had uh, ice-cold Coca-Colas and water and stuff like that. So that was a, a big transition from uh, the military days. And then I, I liked the paycheck that they gave me. It was a pretty good one. So that started me down a path that has been mostly in upstream oil and gas, not 100%, but the bulk of my career, I have been working primarily in the service sector, the Slumberjays, Halliburton types of companies, as opposed to the oil and gas companies. So I guess that would be the biggest uh, transition for me in my mid-20s. Um, I don't think it, it didn't go smoothly. It had its bumps and starts and stops and uh, probably un not unlike others at that, at that time and age. But uh, I think it... Uh, Getting to work for Schlumberger really did prepare me for my career. That sounds, yeah, that's an awesome story with that background. I love how you said that this conversation or just how you, with your past experiences, it could be kind of like a mentorship because that is the goal of inspiration. So we're super happy that we're both on the same page. Uh, but now going into the conversation, can you talk about, about your current role right now? in uh, rapid response, so just the audience to get a, a feel of what you're doing now. Sure, I am, uh, as I said, 
and you can, the audience can look at my LinkedIn and see what my career looked like, but I had a number of opportunities with different companies. And around 2004, um, I left Oracle and decided that uh, I wanted to really get into the consulting business. I had done some of it in the past, done some teaching, some training and the like, but I really wanted to start focusing uh, where I could apply some of my expertise to a number of companies as opposed to a simple uh, position with one organization, which would be in a career path. The Rapid Response Institute really came about uh, as a result of my belief that large, heavy industrial type companies, such as you find in the oil and gas industry, in the nuclear power industry, the uh, in some cases, the transportation industry, were in some ways pretty lethargic. Uh, about that time, the dot-coms had just uh, had all gone bust, but the, the transition to a more of a technology-driven society was, was just beginning. And so I felt like as I watched the speed with which Oracle could move versus the speed that I saw some of our customers moving, I said, there's got to be a better way than the traditional business model of that the oil and gas industry had used for my entire career mostly. I had seen, or in some cases, organizations that were applying information technology in a robust manner uh, were able to move much more rapidly than those organizations that did not. At that time period, a lot of the SAP transitions were underway as, the, as large companies moved away from mainframes to the, a more, we didn't call it cloud back then, but more of a cloud-based a computing environment. And I thought, okay, I can make a difference with a number of companies helping them to do this. And uh, in fact, one of my first engagements was with a large oil company. Uh, and I always treat my customers as confidence, with confidence, I don't mention names in, in recordings like this, but as a household name oil company that was looking to uh, digitize uh, an oil field. So I worked with them around the early, early uh, beginnings of the digital oil field and help them go through that process. And in the, in the process of that, came up with an economic model that's still used to this day. So those are the, the approach that we take is to try and use tools, uh, such as this, this kind of a meeting, uh, cloud-based tools. Uh, people go to my website, they'll see where I've done some process tools that we created to, uh, to help large organizations and mid-sized organizations and even small organizations uh, move more rapidly, and hence the name, the Rapid Response Institute, uh, try to get the thinking, okay, we have to move much quicker these days. We cannot let our competitors um, deal with us in ways that, uh, let me rephrase it, it can't let our competitors get ahead of us in this area. And again, without mentioning names, if you go look at the oil and gas service industry today, you know, these public companies, it's pretty easy to see which ones are really deploying this kind of thinking versus those that seem to be a little bit slower at Absolutely. Oh, thank you. And so kind of a little bit tying into that of your whole story of how you've gone from coming out as an entrepreneur all the way to Oracle and now you're working with all these companies really turning them into high high speed companies. What would you say is one of the moments in your career that really shaped you as one of a story that in your career, you saw was a very pivotal moment. That's an interesting question. Try to boil it down to one, but the um, because I was an army brat, I had been to Europe in my university days, and it wasn't that common back then. In fact, 
I had to get a smallpox vaccination each time I went over there the summer. So I arrived at a company and uh, I had been to Europe. They had a customer in Asia who wasn't paying a multi-million dollar bill. And they asked me to go see about this. So I flew to Asia and, and collected the money. And what was happening is the organization, this was back in the days of million dollar computer systems and raised floors and cooling and all that. They claimed that the system didn't work. So I was pretty naive. I said, okay, I'll just send a, a instrument tech over here. And they didn't want to do that, but I did it anyway. And miraculously the system came online and worked. So they paid the bill and that set the stage. And that was um, early eighties. And that set the stage for what I spent about 10 years. Um, and I never lived over there, but I commuted to um, all the countries in Asia from Australia to India, to South Korea, to Tokyo, uh, been to China about 18, 20 times. In fact, I was just at a conference there last year. Uh, so I really got into international sale of technology to the global oil industry. And it led me down a, a number of paths that, have, that I'm happy to have gone down, but it was a, it was a, it was almost a fluke thing that had happened. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. I mean, all that international travel, I bet that actually influenced me a lot uh, in getting to those leadership positions, which leads to my next question, which would be more of a kind of like a holistic view of what steps or what mindset did you have in order to get to these leadership positions? Because, I mean, for all, I don't want to say everyone, but for a lot of students, being in those positions is the goal after college. So if you can explain the role or your mindset or whatever led you that, that would be awesome. Well, again, there's some bit of luck in all this. As I mentioned earlier, I was pretty naive back then. Uh, I did discover when I was with Schlumberger that the salespeople made more money than the engineers did. And they didn't have to, to me, it didn't seem like they had to work as hard either. And so I finagled my way into a sales job, which uh, took me a while because I had a physics degree and was a former military and a Schlumberger engineer. I didn't have any of the profile that would you expect a salesperson to have? And I was an average sales guy, um, didn't make my numbers on several occasions, but I got an opportunity to bid on a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, and it took us a year, but we won it. So my first multi-million dollar deal was 3 million bucks, which was 10% of the division's revenue for that year. And that's where I discovered that my strong suit was not selling widgets out of the bag the classic bag carrying sales guy. My strong suit was working with organizations across departments to convince enough people to, to spend their money on the products and services that I was providing. So um, I'm the most unlikely sales guy you'll ever meet, uh, but I've also been extraordinarily successful, if I do say so, in terms of international sales, particularly in Asia. So talking about what challenges has to come along with that? That's maybe dealing with the culture. Maybe it's what are some of the biggest problems that you faced whenever you started out doing international sales? Well, no, nobody reports to a salesperson. Uh, you know, when I was in the military, I had various leadership roles at Schlumberger. I had leadership roles where people reported to me, so, so they had to do what I told them to do, so to speak. But nobody reports to sales. So my job, particularly with the big deals, was to find all the 
the, the touch points where the various influences were. You know, it's a very collaborative type environment. So it's not a command and control. Uh, in the 80s, there was a lot of command and control type management in place where you simply told people what to do because you were the boss. Uh, sales roles convinced or taught me I needed. I could only get stuff done if I could collaborate with people, if I could understand what their problems were, if I could solve their problems. Uh, and and so that has led me, uh, has done me, has been good to me from a standpoint of um, coming out as a military officer to start with and getting to a point where no one works for me. The only the only way I get clients today is to convince them that I can solve their problem. So I would, as people go through their career from the very beginning to their mentoring stages, you've got to find the problem that people have. And the problem is not what I'm selling. I usually, in some of my sales consulting, I put up a picture of TV. So if you go into one of the big box stores and you want to buy a 40-inch television, they all look alike. They all got the same specifications. Uh, so one is cheaper and one's more expensive. I buy the one that looks, the screen looks the best. So if you're selling that kind of a product, um, it's a low dollar type of deal. But if you're selling something where you add a lot of value, you've got to convince your customer that you understand the problem that he or she has and that you can solve it. So I would, I would recommend to folks, even if you're not in sales, uh, identifying problems to be solved and coming to management or coming to your customer with a realistic, meaningful price competitive solution is, is the way to lead the process these days as opposed to uh, telling people what to do. Yeah, these are, these are for, for us and just the audience of interviewing inspiration. Those are awesome. They come from obviously great experience. Uh, I do have a question regarding your international, as you mentioned, that that's kind of like a big, a big part of who you are in the sales uh, experience. So for us, like the new generation, would you say that international leadership uh, affected you like positively in the long term? Like, would you recommend us going international? Or maybe some tips regarding that? Well, for me, it was a good thing. And as I, as I mentioned, I really got into it by accident. Um, yeah, we live in a, in a pretty small world. I, I flew to Beijing last year nonstop from Houston. Uh, took seven, 16 something hours. Uh, in the old days, I'd have to fly to California, then to Tokyo, and then into Beijing. So the world's getting smaller. Uh, and global trade is going to increase. The, um, the workforce today is multicultural, uh, and they may all have been born and raised in the United States of America, but their heritage come from other places. So being able to deal with a diverse workforce and going to places, not just on vacation, but to actually do business with different cultures, I think is a valuable experience. Because certainly if you're working for one of the large multinational organizations, uh, oil companies, service companies, but you know, power production companies, people that make transformers and like, it's all global. And so I suspect it's still true as it was with me to get posted overseas at some point in your career is a good thing from the standpoint of growth, uh, developing yourself, getting ready for that first vice president's job. So you were talking about, so really striving to solve those problems of those big companies. How do you actually find what the problems are for those companies and also how to actually really present them. 
Well, one of the things that you've got to do, and this is a real hard one, is you've got to do your homework. Uh, and again, I didn't start out with all this knowledge. I've, I've went through the process of here's my bag of stuff. Which one do you want? But uh, you've got to start to understand what the issues the company is facing. So if I look at a mid-sized oil company today, a public company, uh, if you go and look at the chair, letter to the shareholders by the chairman, he or she will identify what the goals are for that particular fiscal year. So you got an idea, okay, what are they trying to do? Lower costs, uh, find new properties, different partnering relationships, whatever it is. Uh, you have to be able to understand what that company is trying to do that year, uh, that budget cycle. You also need to understand where you where they are in the budget cycle, and particularly in the capital expenditure or capex process. Sometimes it's a multi-year, five-gate steps. So where they are, uh, because if you're there to sell them something that quarter, and they don't have the budget for until five quarters from now, obviously you're not going to be successful that quarter. And so once you've identified the problem-solving process, okay, what can I do? What do I bring to the party? That enables that individual, and we're all we're all dealing with individuals, whether we're managing them or being managed by them or selling to them or be, or, or buying from. It's all about the individual. And um, so, how does that person get successful? I'll deviate just quickly in my first deal. The guy's name was actually John, and he was with a construction company. And I first met him through a colleague, and he says, "If I buy from you, am I going to be promoted?" I thought he was crazy. So how do I know? I didn't say that, but I was thinking, how do I know? And what, what he didn't tell me was what his problem was. And his problem was he had a big construction contract underway, and he didn't need 5,000 parts. He needed the parts assembled in, in subunits that could be assembled on the site. And it took me a while to figure that out. Once I did, I was the only vendor that bid that job that way, and we won. Making sure, and I'm, I'm belaboring this, but if, if you don't know what they're trying to do, you're likely not to be successful. Again, whether you're selling, buying, or whether you're just on a project inside of a company internally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, interview inspiration. I hope you're writing these down because these are coming from experience, from actually knowledge that is real. So the, yeah, these are amazing tips. Uh, we do have a question for, we have time for another question, and I want to bring you back to what we call question zero. So with your experience and stuff, if you would start over, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. The, um, the oil industry is a boom bust and continues to be that way. I think we're, I think we're in a trading range like 40 to 60. We'll stay there a long time. So I think it's smoothing out a little bit. I have wanted to get out of this industry probably like everybody else has been in it half a dozen times. As I got further into it, I discovered even with my pretty strong information technology background, the Silicon Valley was not going to be interested in me. So if if I could, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line you've got to walk because you have to bring value to an organization or they won't hire you. But you also don't want to get so focused on something that you're, you're a, a if you, know, if, if you want to be the, the best engineer in the world and a go-to guy at age 50 or 60, deep and in, in deep in, uh, narrow, if you want to be a, a manager, a general manager or a CEO, uh, you need to get a lot of different experiences. Uh, I tended to stay too long in sales. And uh, 
should have got into sales management earlier than I did. All right, absolutely. And so you actually have been, if they'd like to go look at your LinkedIn, it's actually Dr. Scott Chimwell. And they'll be able to see that you have been CEO, COO, vice president of, and numerous other titles of multiple, multiple companies, along with co-founder and many other titles. So what actually makes you want to take on a business venture? What attributes about that business or about that idea really pulls you in and what helps those businesses succeed? Well, at this point in my career, as I, as I mentioned, all of my customers, clients, have something that's bothering them. Uh, if you don't bring in an outside party, if you've got the resources to do it, unless you're making a, a buy, build decision where we have the resources to build it, but it's not cost effective to use those people. I tend to be brought into situations where there are, are problems that they need at least someone to look at and give a third party. Uh, I might also point out, I've written literally hundreds of articles and, and have a blog, in fact, several blogs, and I'm, I don't want to argue, you know, push people to my website and all that. They can find it if they want to, but there's lots of articles that I've written, and, and nature of those articles is all about, okay, how do we deal with this particular thing that is bugging us in this period of time? For example, I just published one about how, does, how do organizations that are struggling with low oil prices survive? And I made a corollary back to how did the United States move from 1941 from an underwhelmed army to the global dominance in three and a half years. Uh, so kind of lost track of what the question was. I'm rambling a bit and I apologize. But, uh, well, what is it, what attributes about a business draws you to them for you to go and work at a business or to take up a leadership role there? You know, I've done some turnarounds. Um, I've done some interim executive type stuff. I don't like that all that well because uh, people don't take you seriously if they know you're not going to be there. But my preference is to go and deal with organizations where there's a short period of time, I'm talking weeks, no more than a couple of three months, uh, to solve some problem that they've got. Uh, I don't write code. Uh, I know people that do. My, my goal is to go in there if, for the visualization process that people are doing right now. How do they move these workloads that they've got? And nobody's manual anymore. Everybody's at least partly online. Uh, how do we get that to where we need to, need to be? And in the maturity curve, we need to go to step number five. The answer is probably no. Three or four is probably okay for most organizations. So working on those kinds of problems are interesting to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, interviewing inspiration. I hope you're writing this down. Also, I would definitely recommend going to our interviewees, uh, LinkedIn, he has a lot of great information. And from what I, we just heard, he has a lot of articles. I would definitely take the time and look into those. Obviously, there's a lot of experience and knowledge because what we're doing now is basically getting that inspiration to get to levels like Mr. Dr. Scott Shamwell. We just want to thank you again for being here, giving us a chance to hear you out and get all this experience and knowledge from you. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week in Interview Inspiration. From everyone here at Interviewing Inspiration, we'd like to say thank you for all of our listeners and all of the people who have supported us. We'd also like to say thank you for the people in Interviewing Inspiration who has made this possible.
Parshva Adani, our co-owner and producer. Matthew Regawi, the head of business development and operations. Avin Passawar, the creative director. Matthew Martinez, the business and technical advisor. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark LaCour for helping us get started up. He's actually got some podcasts of his own. Go check them out. They're about oil and gas, and they're actually really great. In addition, Cameron Turin, the creator of our music for this podcast, and everyone who has come on the show to be interviewed and share their knowledge. Thank you.